0: If you're here today for the first time, I want to welcome you. God bless you. Thank you for for coming and joining us. We're uh, in the midst of a series that we've been sharing for the last uh, few weeks. It's, it's called Rules of Engagement, and uh, I'm just going to pick right up without any kind of real introduction, uh, except that we've been looking at a very... Uh, well known miracle, the parting of the red sea and we 've been looking at it in increments and we 're going to go over some of that uh, in a little while uh, first let, let, let me tell you this about a year ago, uh, something really bizarre or weird happened to me. Uh, I was asleep, and uh, I had b- been turning over from like one side to the other. Uh, and uh, I it felt like it felt like I was, I was in a boat. I knew I wasn't in a boat, I knew I wasn't dreaming. Uh, it felt like the, the bed was rocking. Uh, actually, it was my kind of my head, I guess, that was feeling that sensation. Uh, I realized something was wrong, uh, and uh. I sat up in bed, and, and when I sat up in bed, and when I tried to focus my vision, like if if I looked at that sign over there, and, and I turned my face like this, uh, it took about two seconds for the rest of the room to catch up to what I was trying to focus on. And I knew something was wrong, So, so I immediately woke my wife up, which is not something a husband wants to do in the middle of the night unless it's serious, right? So I said, I said, honey, I, I need two things. I need prayer and, a, and an aspirin because I don't know what's going on. And of course, you know, she got all kind of, you know, nervous. I mean, being woken up in sleep and sleeping, having your husband tell you something's weird that's going on. So, so uh, so I had an aspirin and we prayed. And uh, you know, when I, when I tried to get up and walk, I literally had to hold on to the wall because my equilibrium was so. So, I mean, I didn't know, if, did I have a virus? Did I have a sinus infection? Was was there something going on that was more serious? And uh, eventually I went back to sleep, uh, woke up the next morning, and I was fine. And, and it, n- it never happened again since then, and that's that, that's been a year ago. Uh, my wife says, honey, you have to have it checked out. You got to tell the doctor. You just can't let that, you know. So I you know, I'm fine, and I don't don't want, you know, but anyway, so I called the doctor, and the doctor says, look, you got to go to the emergency room, and uh, have them check it out, so I go to the emergency room, and like about six or eight hours later, you know, after they did all kinds of tests, you know, and and blood work, and tests, and this, and that, and they said, we don't know what happened to you, you know, Uh, as best we could figure out, it was vertigo, Okay, anybody ever have vertigo here today? A few of you, right? It's weird, isn't it? Uh, it is. The, it is one of the weirdest sensations you will ever experience. And and I, I I say that to tell you this that that this article that I that that caught my attention, the headlines of this article that caught my attention. Uh, that's the reason why I became interested in this article. And in this article. Uh, th- 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 this was the headline. Despite the best training in technology, why do pilots still die from not knowing which end is up? And went on to d- describe, uh, as one of the incidents in this article, uh, Major Gregory uh, Young, uh, 34 years old, a pilot uh, in the uh, Air Force Reserves who was doing a test off of the uh, Oregon coast uh, in, an, in a, an F-15 fighter Plane. Uh, he he drove his plane right into the ocean at 600 miles an hour. Now, now the, the thing that was so weird about this was that th- there was no distress call. There was no malfunction with his airplane. Uh, he didn't eject. You know, just 600 miles an hour right into the ocean. When the investigators about took them about a couple of months to gather up the the, par- the, the parts. Of course, you know, he tragically uh, died in the crash, destroyed this like $35 million airplane. Uh, But what they discovered was uh, that it was spatial disorientation. Uh, Spatial disorientation is also known as pilots or aviators vertigo. And, and, And what happened was that obviously he trusted in his own uh, feelings in his own instincts rather than being uh, dependent upon the instruments. And so he had no sense of really knowing that he was, his, his sense of altitude and his sense of speed was, was distorted. And, and this is what the, the article said The article said that pilots must learn against all contradictory sensations the difficult discipline of an absolute belief in their instrument. And the article went on to say that, 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 the, that the reason for that is because we were, we were made to walk on the earth. We, we trust our earthbound instincts. And our earthbound instincts are absolutely no good in the clouds. And one of the things, this is really fascinating, the average life expectancy of a non-instrument rated pilot who flies into the clouds or at night, is 178 seconds. The average life expectancy of a pilot, in other words, who is not, who is not relying upon his instruments, is, is less than three minutes. That is amazing. Now, it's not really difficult to see where I'm going with this. Despite his extensive training and his experience, Major Young trusted in his own earthbound instincts instead of relying upon his instruments which brought about this fatality. And here's the point, that each of us in this life will experience critical moments when we need to make critical decisions, not based upon our emotions or our feelings or our earthbound instincts, but we we need with absolute belief to trust in the Savior who loves us and who wants our good and His glory. When we find ourselves stuck between a rock and a hard place, when we find ourselves in these critical situations, this is what the Bible says. It says, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not depend on your own understanding. Seek his will in all you do, and he will show you which path to take. Proverbs 3, 5 and 6. He who trusts in himself is a fool, but he who walks in wisdom is kept safe. Last week, at the close of, of last week's message, I said that men and women who, who have their minds stayed upon the Lord experience a peace that is perfect and a strength that comes from outside of themselves from God, whose minds are fixed upon God. Now, I don't know who the author of the following is, but I think it's worthy of listening to. Listen to that. He said, whoever the author is, unknown author, you know, says, this book... The Bible is the mind of God, the state of man, the way of salvation, and the happiness of believers. Its doctrines are holy, its precepts are binding, its histories are true. Its decisions are immutable. Read it to be wise, believe it to be safe, practice it to be holy. It contains light to direct you, food to support you, comfort to cheer you. It's the traveler's map, the pilgrim's staff, the pilot's GPS, the soldier's sword, the Christian's character. Here, paradise is restored, heaven is open, the gates of hell disclosed, and Christ is the grand subject, our good, its design, and the glory of God, its end. It should fill our memory, rule our hearts, guide our feet, read it slowly, frequently, prayerfully. It is a mind of wealth, a paradise of glory, and a river of pleasure. Follow its precepts, and it will lead you to Calvary, to the empty tomb, to the resurrected life in Christ, yes, and to glory itself. We treasure the word of God. We believe the word of God. We follow the word of God. We do not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Jesus lived by that principle. He defeated Satan in the wilderness by that principle by that word, the sword of the Spirit. And the Holy Spirit has come to bring the word of God to us to give us new life and to give us new birth. It's not without the word. So here's the statement I want you to consider. The life of of faith is neither smooth nor easy, all by divine design. The life of faith, it's not smooth and it's not easy, but that is all by divine design. The storms of life happen. It happens to both the good and the bad, the just and the unjust. It could happen in a moment. Everything is going smooth, and and then suddenly you find yourself in the midst of a storm. What we need to do in those moments is not to trust in our own instincts, but rather to look for both guidance and protection from the one who cares for us. So here's the critical moment for the lives of two million people as they were stuck between the rock and the hard place, between the the charging chariots of the Egyptians and the Red Sea. And And they're stuck in that place. Will they trust in their instincts, their feelings, their emotions? Or will they put their trust in the living God? This was all, as we've seen over the last several weeks, a divine setup. God was setting Pharaoh up for this final fall, Because what he was going to do was he was going to break the strength of Pharaoh and Pharaoh's army once and for all so that the grasp that that Pharaoh had over the Israelites, he would have no more. And what we've paralleled, we've looked at this as prefiguring the, the exact scenario of our salvation that through the cross, Jesus has destroyed principalities and powers and he's triumphed over them through the cross The the, the miracle of the Red Sea division and the cross is is so parallel that it's the great miracle in the old, but it's the the greater miracle pointing to the new resurrection of Jesus Christ that we're we're fixing our hearts on. In so many ways, this this miracle is is the ultimate deliverance. It's pointing to the ultimate deliverance that we experience when Jesus Christ sets us free from the law of sin and death by his own power and by his own might. So we pick up the story in this kind of cliffhanger, right? And uh, this story is so great on so many levels because it really illustrates the helplessness of the Israelites, but it also illustrates our helplessness to either save ourselves or to keep ourselves safe. They're absolutely dependent upon God to rescue them as you and I were absolutely dependent upon God to rescue us from, from a life of sin and death. And so we pick up in Exodus chapter 14, verse 13. And you can follow along on the screen. Moses answered the people, do not be afraid. Stand firm and you will see the deliverance the Lord will bring you today. The Egyptians you see today, you will never see again. For the Lord will fight for you. You need only to be still. Then Moses, or then, excuse me, then the Lord said to Moses, why are you crying out to me? Tell the Israelites to move on. Now, let me just stop here for a minute because that verse has always kind of bothered me. It seems like the Lord was angry with Moses and says, you know, why are you crying out to me? Moses wasn't the one who was crying out to the Lord. It was the people, as we looked at last week, their cry was was not a cry of faith. It was a cry of, of terror. It was a cry of complaint. It was a cry of accusation. So so why is the Lord seemingly kind of annoyed with with Moses saying why are you crying out to me? And I think the I think the answer is because Moses the Lord deals with Moses as the representative of all the people. He's the one who intercedes for the people. And so in the same way that that the Lord deals with the people of God through the representative the Lord Jesus Christ the man Christ Jesus. And we have we have nothing but but great Gratitude to give to the Lord, because there is only one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. I think that's what's what we're talking about. And so the Lord says in verse sixteen, "Raise your staff and stretch out your hand over the sea to divide the water, so that the Israelites can go through the sea on dry ground. And I will harden the hearts of the Egyptians so that they will go in after them, and I will gain glory through Pharaoh and all of his army." through his chariots and horsemen, and the Egyptians will know that I am the Lord. Actually, it's not only the Egyptians who came to know, but the Israelites came to know. And and also the whole Middle East came to know. You might remember years later, 40 years later, uh, Rahab says she she was the one who lived in, in, in Jericho and the walls were shut up. She says, we have heard of what the Lord Yahweh did in dividing the Red Sea. I mean, all the nations around that area in the Middle East knew of what God had done. Then it says in verse 19, Then the angel of God, who had been traveling in front of Israel's army, withdrew and went behind them. We're going to look at this mysterious figure in a moment. The pillar of cloud also moved in from in front and stood behind them, coming between the armies of Egypt and Israel, Throughout the night, the cloud brought darkness to the one side and light to the other side, so that neither went near the other all night long. Then Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and all night the Lord drove the sea back with a strong east wind, and it turned into dry land. And the waters were divided, and the Israelites went through the sea on dry ground with a wall of water on their right and on their left what an amazing picture before us of the miracle working power of God this this would not only define israel it would it would display the power of god for the next 1000 generations i mean every every passover right uh, e- even today over the last what 30 40 almost maybe 50 years you know w- whenever the jewish people are celebrating the passover one of the network tvs are, they're going to run the history of, of the Ten Commandments and, and the parting of the Red Sea because that was so much a part of their DNA spiritual experience. A 19th century Bible expositor by the name of C.H. McIntosh believed that the Red Sea didn't divide throughout all at once but opened progressively as Israel advanced. So they needed to put their trust in God for each fresh step. Let me let me give you a quote. He says, God never gives guidance for two steps at a time. When I take one step and then I get light for the next, this keeps the heart in abiding dependence on God. Now, there's something that I bear witness to that, not only because of the way that it read that all night long, the Lord caused this east wind to divide the waters. But but I bear witness with that in my experience as well, that God leads us step by step, that that, that it's a good thing to be dependent upon the Lord. It's a good thing to trust in the Lord moment by moment, you know, Uh, day by day. He, He gives us our daily bread. God supplies our daily needs. Let me tell you something, that the life that learns how to live in complete dependence upon God, not only gives glory to God, but causes the world to stand up and take notice. I'm telling you, the life that is completely dependent upon God will cause even the world to stand up and take notice. One such example is a fellow by the name of George Mueller, an Englishman who lived back in the 1800s. You may have heard about him. Uh, He wasn't always a child of God. He wasn't always a saint. You know, in fact, he, he was described as a, a liar, uh, a thief, and a gambler. When he was 12 years old, he robbed money from his from his own father. When he was 14 years old, while his mother was dying, he was he was gambling and getting drunk at 14 years of age. But like so many of us who've had a checkered past, we've come to Christ, and there's a transformation that's taken place over the course of his lifetime. He not only became an evangelist, but He he also cared for orphans in Bristol, England. Over the course of his life, he cared for over 10,000 orphans. And he he did so, listen, by this incredible, complete trust in God. He never asked for contributions. He never asked for for, for any help, but he depended completely on God. One well-documented story was that while the children were sitting down and there was nothing at all to eat, when they had just finished praying, there was a, a knock at the door, and it was the baker with loaves of bread to feed all of the children. But at the same at the same moment, the the, the milkman's wagon broke down in front of the orphanage, and he had all this milk that was going to spoil. You know, and I tell you what, his his confidence and his faith in God caused the world then to stand up and take notice of somebody who would live completely dependent upon the Lord. See, the life of faith is not easy and it's not smooth and all by divine design so that God may be glorified and that he may show us his goodness. Listen to how the Apostle Paul puts this moment-by-moment moment dependence upon the Lord. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 16 says this, Therefore, We do not lose heart. That is, we don't quit. We don't give up. We do not faint. Though outwardly we're wasting away, yet inwardly we're being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but what is unseen. For what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. When life is hard and when troubles mount, Paul's saying, listen, they're, they're, they're not only momentary, but they're working for us an exceeding weight of glory that is going to be for our good as we fix our eyes not on things seen but things unseen. There's a story about a, a medical student who was very anxious about graduating about about starting a practice about being able to make a living and he was working himself up so much so that he almost had a nervous breakdown but then he came across 21 words that literally changed his life because it it began to change the way in which he thought you know the 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 battle once again is is in the area of the mind and th- this guy went on to be one of the greatest physicians of his generation he uh, was the administrator or founder, I believe it is, of the uh, Johns Hopkins, Hopkins, Hopkins Medical uh, Center. Became knighted by the King of England. This, this is the statement that changed his life. He, he, it's this. Our main business is not to see what lies dimly at a distance, but to do what lies clearly at hand. Let me say it again. Our business, our main business is not to see what lies dimly at a glance, but to do what lies clearly at hand. Whether he realized it or not, he was, he was tapping into a, a spiritual principle that Jesus taught to his disciples for the purpose of spiritual success. Jesus said it like this, don't be anxious about tomorrow. God will take care of your tomorrow. Live one day at a time. In other words, that step by step, that moment by moment, that daily, depending upon God. I don't. I don't know if I. If I. If in my notes, I don't. Is, is the word guidance there? I, I. I don't think it is. Right. I forgot to put that on. But the word. Think of the word guidance. G U I, D A N no, C A. Notice what the last five letters of that word is. D-A-N-C-E. It's dance. It's God, you, and I dance. Uh, think of it like that. Uh, when two people dance, when Joey and Jess have their first dance at their wedding, one of them is going to lead. If both of them try to lead, it's going to be awkward. It's going to, right? It's, it's, it, you know, it's, it's not going to work. It's not going to flow. But, but when one person leads and the other person follows there's a flow to the music when we dance with God when God guides us in order to dance with God we have to allow God to lead he gently nudges this way he gently nudges the other way and we follow the leading we we listen we become sensitive to his still soft voice to dance what God requires, trust, surrender, willingness, and attentiveness to God's gentle leadings. When the communist overran China, a missionary by the name of Isabel Khan escaped on foot with her small son, Daniel, over a snow-covered pass, and it was dangerous, but she made her way to upper Burma. She had no money. She was unable to speak the language. She had a small child with her. She was frightened. She didn't know what to do. But she she made two decisions. The one decision that she made, we've already covered in in a previous week, and that is she said, I am not going to be afraid. I will not fear. That was her attitude. She said, I will not be afraid. The second thing that she did was she said she was going to seek light for the next step. Half a world away from home having no communication with the outside world. She said, I just, I just need to take care of today. God, I need food for today. I need a place to stay. I need a way of finding how to communicate with the outside world. And little by little, by increments, she finally made her way home to safety. But it was by doing so through a, a daily, moment by moment, day by day, dependence upon God, following his leading, following his direction. Uh, Some of you know I've been sharing with you, we've been having work done at the house, and uh, we're redoing our kitchen, and so there's spackle dust all over the place, and we've got like room dividers, these plastic sheets hanging between some of the rooms, and and they were on the the steps the other day. I finally took them down, couldn't take it anymore, you know. And uh, so the other morning, right, it was still probably around maybe 6.30, like that. I was coming down the steps with an empty tray of, of two, two coffee mugs. We had uh, coffee in the morning, my wife and I. And so I'm coming down the stairs and I thought I was on the landing, but I wasn't. And uh, there was actually two more steps to go. So so I went flying, the, the, the cups went flying, the tray went flying, everything was flying, you know, uh, all, all simply because I failed to take I failed to do two things. I failed to watch where I was going and I failed to take the next step. Many of the times in our lives, we find ourselves falling and stumbling when we fail to take the next step. We, You know, human nature, is we, we, we want to know the future. We, we want to know what's ahead next month, next week, you know. But the child of God, listen, is satisfied to know that God is the one who holds the future and that we can put our trust and confidence in the goodness of the Lord. One thing that is clear is that this was God's plan for the children of Israel, that they would follow one step at a time, whether it was as, as, as the wind began to move and separate the waters. You know, it's estimated that God split that Red Sea about a half a mile in its length so that the children of Israel, half a mile is about from the corner of the Watermill Inn to this building. That is some breach in that that, that sea. And God is able to do stuff like that for you and I. See, what was to them an obstacle at first became a highway of hope. What was to them trouble now became to them their solution to escape from the charging chariots. I think this old hymn kind of says it best of what I'm trying to say. It goes like this, never a trial that he is not there, never a burden that he does not bear, never a sorrow that he does not share. Moment by moment, we're under his care. Moment by moment, we're under care care. When your back's up against the wall and there's nowhere else to go and the enemy is pressing in against you, take one step at a time. Trust him moment by moment. Lean completely on him. One of the things that I discovered as a parent, grandparent, you can't, you can't prevent the storms of life from happening to your children. You want to protect them. But the best thing that you can do in the midst of the storms that take place in your children's lives is to be present when the storms come. Your presence means more than their comfort. And let me tell you, that's exactly what God was doing. He was manifesting His presence in the midst of the most perplexing and difficult experience of their life. And you know, you discover something of the of the awesome wonder of God when God comes through and his presence is is being manifested. And so it says that the angel of the Lord who was before them in the camp went behind them and became their rear God. Let me just look at that verse one more time. Verse 19 says, is that the angel of the Lord or the angel of God who had been traveling in front of Israel's army withdrew and went behind them. The pillar of cloud also moved from in front and stood behind them which was the symbol of God's presence, coming between the armies of Egypt and Israel. Throughout the night, the cloud brought darkness to the one side and light to the other, so that neither went near the other all night long. What a perfect description. By the way, the angel of the Lord throughout Scripture is is one of the pre-incarnate appearances of Jesus. It was Jesus who who ushered them through the Red Sea. The messenger of the covenant literally is what we're talking about. Uh, I can give you so many verses that, that talk about the, the angel of his presence speaking about the manifestation of God himself coming in their midst. What a perfect description of Jesus. To those who trust in him, he is light. But to those who reject him, they are in utter darkness. He gives comfort to the one and he confounds the other. He is a shepherd and a guard to the one, and he is a judge to the other. The revelation of God's presence is far greater than the freedom from the storm. Let me say it again. The revelation of God's presence in the storm is far greater than than freedom from the storm because it's in the storm that we have this amazing sense of God's wonder and majesty when God comes riding upon the storms of our life. Moses spoke of it in Deuteronomy 32 as the everlasting arms of God. A couple of generations ago, they, they, they spoke about it as, and this is what I think that Moses meant, that he lived in, 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 the, in the presence of God. It, it says that he, in Hebrews 11, it says that Moses endured seeing him who was invisible, a couple of generations ago, they, they talked about, they wrote books about practicing the presence of God. In other words, being sensitive to the nearness of God, cultivating that, that voice to hear God's soft voice, that leading, that dance of God. You know, for, for years, one of the things I constantly do is to go back to the, the book of Revelation, chapters four and five. Those are the only two chapters I really uh, pay attention to in Revelation. You know, it's because there there's a picture of the throne room of God. There's a picture of, of the rainbow of God around the throne of God and, and, and His angels. And when I when I pray, when I speak, I'm not speaking into an empty air. I'm speaking to the, to the God who is seated upon the throne, to the God who is, who is manifested in in that unfolding vision of the awesome awesome majesty of God. That's that's what I'm talking about. Is Practicing the presence of God. There was an interesting article that I came across that, that spoke about this sense of awe. And it was a secular, it was a secular article, but there's something in it that just caught my attention. Somewhere in the intersection of joy and mystery is, is this sense of awe. The indescribable response to the world around us, according to the article. And, and they go on to read to kind of define what R is in a better way. It's overwhelming, surprising, humbling, even a little terrifying. R is what you feel when you're faced with something sublime, exceptional, altogether beyond comprehension. When I read that, I said, I know, I know what they're talking about. God is beyond comprehension. God is, is, is this all-inspiring, sublime, majestic, it mentions in this article about one of this 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 psychology professor doing this kind of experiment with a, with a class of students, with with half the class of students who were facing uh, this uh, great uh, uh, life-size uh, Tyrannosaurus. Tyrannosaurus is that right? Tyrannosaurus Rex, right? Uh, and and they were to write they, they were to write an I am sentence. In other words, they were to fill in the blank I am and they were to fill in the blank by 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 looking at, this is what they were to fix their eyes on. The other half of the class was to stare at a blank wall. And this is what he found. And this happened constantly. That the, that the class that looked at this larger-than-life you know figure described themselves in grander terms, in larger terms, as I am part of the human species. But the group who faced the blank wall described themselves in narrower, smaller terms as I'm a soccer player. You know, or I'm this or I'm that. Now, although the article was mostly secular in its point of view, we believe that God is that art-inspiring, majestic splendor of what we fix our eyes upon and what 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 we set our heart upon. And when we do that, when we see him who is invisible, you know, 53 times in the scriptures, it says that God is awesome, He's awesome in, in glory. He's awesome and mighty in power. No wonder the psalmist says the whole earth is, is filled with awe at your wonders. And so what I'm saying to you this morning is this. Fix your eyes on the bigness of God, not on the smallness of your problems. The children of Israel focused their vision on the Red Sea and on the chariots. But Moses fixed his eyes upon the bigness of God. And when you focus on the bigness of God, your thoughts become grander. You you don't get caught up in the minutiae details of of little things, but you you become occupied with the grandeur of God himself. What I want you to take away from this message this morning is simply this, that because life, The life of faith is neither smooth nor is it easy. What I want you to see is that so that we might learn the sufficiency of God and His personal care for us. Life is not easy, life is not smooth, but it's so that we might discover the sufficiency of God and His personal care for each and every one of us. Listen, until you have a testimony, that my God shall supply all my needs by his riches and glory and Christ. Until you could say, like the Apostle Paul, that God is able to do exceedingly and abundantly above all that we're able to ask or think, then it's only words. But when it becomes an experience in your life, you could say, like David, I once was young and now I'm old, but I've never seen the righteous forsaken nor a seed begging for bread. The world will stand up and take notice of the person, the man, the woman of God who lives in that dance with God, in that dependence upon God, in the attentiveness and submission to step-by-step, moment-by-moment, day-by-day dependence upon God. Let's pray. Father, I thank you this morning for the word of the Lord that always is encouraging, that always is inspiring, that always lifts us beyond ourselves, lifts us beyond what is natural, what is weak, what is human, and shows us what can be and shows us the divine, shows us the grandeur of your greatness. Lord, we are fixed in our thoughts and in our mind, not on ourselves, not on our problems, not on not on a blank wall, but, but we fix our eyes on the bigness, the hugeness of God. You're a mighty God. You're a great Savior. You're a wonderful friend and Father. And we thank you that even now, if we're going through something, that we can depend upon the presence of God to give us that perfect peace, to give us that inner strength that we need. We will follow you. Lord, that's the commitment that we make. We will follow your leading for the footsteps of the righteous. They are ordered of the Lord. And we will wait upon you, Lord God. And they that wait on you will renew their strength. They'll mount up with wings as eagles. They'll run and not grow weary. They will walk and they will not faint. This is the life of faith that you've laid out for us. And we thank you, Lord God, that you are with us. And because you are with us, you're also for us. Amen? Amen. Let's all stand together.